Today, we have Mr. Scott Ageson joining the Canadian Taxpayers Podcast. Mr. Ageson is running to be the next leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. Mr. Ageson, thanks for coming on the show today. Well, thanks for having me, Franco. It's great to be here. All right, let's get right into it. So we're against the carbon tax. You've come out opposing the carbon tax. So toughest question of the day, if you become prime minister, when are you going to scrap the carbon tax before or after lunch on your first day? <laughs> if I can, before. Yeah, I'll do it right away. I, uh, I'm i convinced and uh, I, there's been a lot of research done that you know, we can meet our, car, our carbon targets. We can meet our, our obligations internationally without a consumer carbon tax. Uh, and it's uh, it's one of the biggest commitments. I've fought against the carbon tax since the moment I started running federally back in 2019. And I continue to be opposed to it. I would eliminate it right away. Okay, so you know I have to ask this follow-up question. Will you replace the Trudeau carbon tax with any form of carbon tax of your own? And what are you going to do about that second carbon tax that the government is bringing in through fuel regulations. Yeah, I think that the uh, in discussions with the with the industrial sector, uh, I've talked a little bit about the idea of actually having uh, the the major polluters pay specifically, uh, and then you would use that money to assist uh, reducing the footprint of of those major emitters. So uh, through regulation, which I know doesn't sound terribly conservative, but regulation is far more important in this circumstance, uh, and assisting those those polluters to reduce their footprint as well. You know, the oil patch in Alberta actually has a pretty elaborate plan to get themselves to net zero, uh, but it but it involves some, some element of assistance from the federal government. So that's my approach. I'm more interested in assisting Canadians, individual Canadians, and also assisting the large emitters uh, through technology uh, to actually reduce their footprint. And then we can use that technology to sell to the world, to help the rest of the world reduce their footprint as well. Canada's not the biggest problem in this circumstance here, but we do have one of the biggest opportunities. So that's the way I see it, as an opportunity to sell products as opposed to just tax people. So, Mr. Agerson, I want to move on to to some other important topics, but I, I do hear some of our supporters out there in Brooks, Alberta, making sure that we get you to clarify. And I just want to ask you again, so are you ruling out any other form of carbon tax under a government that you lead as prime minister? I am ruling out completely a consumer carbon tax, keeping in mind, of course, some provinces do have their own version of it. I'm saying there should not be a federal consumer carbon tax. Whether, whether, you, whether you call making the, the biggest polluters pay, uh, whether you call it a carbon tax or something like that, I don't know. But I'm more inclined to say, you know, we don't need to tax carbon any more than we already do. I mean, gasoline already is taxed pretty heavily. Is that a carbon tax? I mean, it's a carbon-based fuel. So what's? I'm not sure what the distinction is here. It sounds like a distinction without a difference. I'm, I'm inclined to say what we need to do is assist Canadians to reduce their footprint, not punish them with the tax. Yeah, I guess just for clarification, we're, of course, against to the, the clean fuel standard, which is a second carbon tax that the government is bringing in. But I do, I do want to move forward. So... Um, one of the key components that we've heard from your campaign is about making life more affordable. Of course, inflation four decades high. So we've got two questions for you. The first is, what do you think is causing inflation? And the second is, what would you do to make life a little bit more affordable for Canadians? 
So uh, what's causing inflation, I mean, it's not uniquely Canadian. It, it, is, it is a bit of a global issue for sure. But the things that we can do in Canada specifically are, number one, get our fiscal house in order. We've got to stop printing money. There's simply no need to be deficit spending right now to stimulate the economy when the economy is firing on all cylinders and you can't find enough people to work. So I don't know what, what, what realm that makes sense in the liberal minds to have the deficits right now to stimulate the economy, but there's absolutely no need for it. We need to get the fiscal house in order in Ottawa. Uh, and of course, the provinces need to get their fiscal house in order as well. But that's priority number one for me if I become the leader of the Conservative Party and the Prime Minister of Canada. Uh, and then, of course, also, you know, we need to, we need to work with our international allies, with, with business. Supply chain disruptions have certainly made things worse. Uh, and we need to, you know, do whatever we can with in collaboration with uh, with the private sector and also with our international allies to to get inflation under control and help, you know, smooth out the hiccups that have been created and the ripple effect that supply chain interruptions have caused in our economy as well. Well, hearing uh, getting your uh, the fiscal house in order as your number one priority is, of course, music to our ears. So let's dive into that just a little bit deeper. Um, the government is already more than a trillion dollars in debt deficits as far as the eye can see. So what would you do to address the one trillion dollar debt problem and how long would it take you to balance the budget? Yeah, I'll answer the last question first. And the, and the answer to that is I'm not 100 percent certain how long it would take to balance the budget, but I would work at it very quickly. By cutting taxes, and by cutting taxes, meaning we would stimulate the economy, uh, and every nickel in surplus, we would pay 50% of it back to Canadians in, in, in taxes, and 50% to pay down the deficit, pay down the debt, rather. And so that, that's my plan, to make sure that Canadians keep more of their own money, uh, and by doing that, stimulating the economy to use that money to give them more of their money back and also reduce our debt. And what, what taxes would you cut? I would, uh, well, we've talked already about uh, cutting the carbon tax specifically, but income taxes, uh, certainly there's room to cut income taxes. Um, I think part of that, part of, part of the way you do that too is by rationalizing government. There's no question that the government on the last seven years of Trudeau has ballooned in size and scope. And I just don't think that that's necessary. Mr. Harper did a reasonably good job of keeping the government from growing anymore, but he certainly didn't shrink the size of government. I think that there is a lot of room uh, for a federal government led by a conservative prime minister named Scott Aitchison uh, to reduce the size of the federal government and, and the overall bureaucracy as well. And part of that is by making sure that the federal government gets back to doing what it was created for in the first place and stop meddling in provincial affairs. Uh, you see program after program, year after year, you know, usually federal liberal governments that uh, want to meddle in provincial responsibilities, and they promise to help make it a reality by paying 50% of the cost. And then, of course, they never do. Healthcare being the prime example where we, we have never paid 50% of the cost of healthcare as was agreed to in the 60s. We pay about, you know, 30%. Uh, and so, you know, you have successive governments that have made provinces fiscally unsustainable, and now we deliver mediocre programs. We think of our healthcare systems as one of the best in the world, and it's simply not. And so I think that we need to we need to completely scrap or rewrite the Canada Health Act, sit down with the provinces, um, refocus and, and get the federal government out of their responsibilities, meet our original uh, commitments to the provinces, and then we can get back to doing the things that the federal government was created for in the first place and focus on doing our job, like procuring equipment for our women and men in service to this country who protect us, who have to fly in ridiculous old dangerous, you know, fighter jets that are, you know, well past their best before date. 
and stop playing political games with the procurement. So there, that's just one example. I, you know, we should be focused more on creating new markets uh, for Canadian business. That's one of the reasons the federal government was created to help establish new markets around the world. We need to get back to focusing on that. Like the Harper government did, they negotiated all kinds of free trade agreements and this current level of government, they're, they're so focused on, on taxing and punishing Canadians for, for their lifestyle. They're not focusing on what we should be focusing on. A lot to chew on there, but I want to get back to affordability. And you've talked a lot about housing affordability, of course, a huge issue in Canada. Well, in Canada, we don't have a home equity tax, but we are very concerned that the requirement to report the sale of your home with the CRA is a big step towards a home equity tax. So would you remove that requirement to report the sale of your home with the CRA? Absolutely. Absolutely. 1000%. Listen, too many. Uh, this is a system that has been created over decades where Canadians have planned their entire careers to use the equity in their home as, as part of their, as a major component of their retirement plan. You can't just pull the rug out from under uh, those Canadians approaching retirement. That's unfair. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I will, I will stick a pin in that in a, in a New York minute. <laughs> well, we like to hear that, of course. Uh, let's Let's get into a little bit more of the details on the budget. So even before the pandemic, the government was spending all-time highs. So the so a, a government should be able to find savings. And we want to know where you would find some savings in the bloated budget. Well, I, yeah, I, I won't get into specifics right here, right now. Uh, it's, uh, it's not something that I've uh, spent a lot of time digging into, but I know this much. Uh, in a budget of almost $400 billion, there's a lot of room to trim the fat. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm not going to get into specifics with you right now, but uh, there's a lot of room there. Well, let's talk about one area um, where we're concerned about. It looks like another taxpayer boondoggle, and it's the gun ban and buyback. The RCAP union says it won't make Canadians safer. We've seen analysis suggest that it could cost billions of dollars. So what would you do about the gun ban and buyback? Well, I, I mean, I would, I would cancel it. That's a, that's a classic example of uh, liberal photo ops as opposed to, you know, decent public policy that actually helps or protects Canadians. You know, the problem with firearms being used in violent criminal acts in this country uh, has nothing to do with legally purchased firearms. It has everything to do with illegally smuggled firearms. And frankly, uh, you know, we need to do a better job of patrolling our border. Uh, and so instead of, you know, buying back uh, firearms that, uh, you know, is going to cost the taxpayer uh, staggering sums of money, uh, we should invest uh, appropriately to patrol our borders, uh, and then we should also, frankly, look at the at the at the at the at the situation that exists in our inner cities, where there are young people who feel their only hope for a future is to join a gang. Let's say our society has failed those people, those young people, uh, and we need to do more with provinces and cities to to lift those young people uh, out of despair and and out of those circumstances. Uh, and make sure that that uh, they have every opportunity not to join a gang in the first place, too. That's a, that's going to be a lot more work. It's going to take a lot more effort. It's going to take a lot more time. Uh, but that's that's the real problem here. We need to address that. So uh, listen, this buyback program is classic liberal. Use your money to to mollify Canadians while not actually solving any problems. Would you defund the CBC and end the media bailout? I would I would end the media bailout. I wouldn't completely defund the CBC. I think the CBC has an important role to play in in our Canadian uh, culture and, and knitting Canadians together. I would make some pretty dramatic changes to the to the mandate of the CBC. 
I would, I would, uh, I would suggest that you know among the things that should change at the CBC is it, it really shouldn't be using a billion dollars of taxpayers' dollars uh, to compete against private sector networks. That's patently unfair. Uh, I would change that, and uh, and so I would make a lot of changes. I would make sure there'd be a major mandate change there. So we've seen a tale of two pandemics. Uh, we've seen the private sector get crushed with pay cuts, job losses, businesses closing down. You've, you've mentioned the bureaucracy here. Well, uh, more than 300,000 federal employees received a pay raise during the pandemic. Of course, members of parliament pay goes up every single year. So what would you do to rein in the ballooning bureaucracy? And would you show leadership by reducing MP pay? Uh, so in terms of the bureaucracy, uh, listen, I've always been a big believer that, uh, you know, that, that pay should be commensurate with the work involved. My issue with the, with the bureaucracy is just too big. And I don't think that I don't think that people who work for the federal government should, you know, should need to make necessarily make less money. I just think there's too many of them. Uh, and there, and, and frankly, we, there's lots of room to shrink the size of the federal government. And I think to actually, this is one of those issues that as a municipal politician, so in Ontario, municipalities are actually responsible. Municipal councils are responsible to set their own remuneration. And it was always very, very difficult. And so I think that the system we have in place right now for members of parliament, where it's a, an independent system to, to determine what the, what the salary should be uh, and if any increase is warranted, is the right way to do it. Actually take it out of the hands of the politicians. Uh, and so that's one of the things we did when I was uh, when I was the mayor of Huntsville. We appointed like an independent group, uh, not involved, to actually determine what the remuneration for municipal politicians should be, and it would take effect following the next election. So I, I think that there are there's way better ways to determine what what politicians should get paid than politicians pontificating about it, because uh, it's an easy vote get to say, oh, I'm going to cut member uh, politician salaries. Um, I, I just don't play that game. But would you be open to uh, an independent citizens committee reviewing politician pay? Sure, absolutely. I think it's important to review it, but I don't think it's I don't think it's right for politicians to try to score cheap political points uh, on what on what politicians make. What would you do about Bill C-11 uh, and more broadly online censorship and protecting Canadians' ability to hold their politicians and governments accountable online? Well, I, I would scrap C-11. Uh, I, uh, you know, prior to the last election, I was actually on the Heritage Committee. We were, we were fighting back against uh, what was then C-10. Uh, I, I, I think it's a dramatic overreach by this government to try to silence voices that they don't like. Uh, and so I, I, would, I would scrap C-11. Uh, and I would, uh, I, I, would, I would just suggest that in terms of, in terms of you know, protecting Canadians against, you know, speech that, uh, you know, hate speech and those kinds of things. There are, the rules are in place currently uh, and those can be enforced. Uh, I, 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 don't, I just think that this is a dramatic overreach by, by a very zealous liberal government who uh, doesn't like criticism. Hey, last question. Uh, you've been in politics for, for quite some time now. So what is one thing that you're most proud of, of what you've achieved in politics? And what is one thing that you want to achieve before you end up leaving public office? Uh, well, I, I, in, terms of, uh, in terms of what I've achieved um, throughout my career, I guess I've always been the kind of person who believes that no one person, no one party has a monopoly on good ideas. Uh, and so I've always been a big believer in collaboration and working together and, and, and finding the common ground, certainly within my own caucus, 
and and within the House of Commons to, to make the lives of Canadians better. That's been my my primary focus as a municipal leader, uh, and now as a federal leader. And I, there's lots of examples where I've you know been able to you know, you know cross the political divide and and make something better. Uh, and so I want to continue to do that. And if and if uh, if uh, my time in federal politics amounts to anything, I hope it amounts to. Um, you know, doing more of that, making the lives of Canadians better, and, and hopefully people will remember me as somebody who, who was in there for the right reasons and did actually make a difference in the lives of Canadians. Mr. Aitchison, thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you, Franco. It's been a pleasure. Hi, I'm Scott Hennig, President of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. If you've got another minute, I'd like to ask you to think about the one person you know that would really enjoy listening to this podcast. Do us a favor and do them a favor and send them a quick note to let them know about it. At the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, we believe there is power in numbers. That's why we've worked so hard to build an army of taxpayers who are ready to push back. And we did it because people like you shared our work with that one person that they knew would really appreciate taking part. Thanks for listening, and thanks for doing your part to make Canada a better place.